praise be to God. We're going to go to yesterday's portion, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to continue from there as we're going to, as the Lord wanted us to read the entire chapter. We're going to continue from there where we left off. So I will begin from verse one to refresh and then go to where the Lord wants us to. Matthew chapter 11 and from verse one onwards. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the regions. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. I read from New King James Version yesterday. I'm going to switch back to that. Verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to go back to verse 7 again. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to see? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But... What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I want to stop right here for a few minutes, as the Holy Spirit wants me to. Now, Jesus Christ is talking to his people. He's saying, once John's disciples left, what did people go out to see in John? Why did you go? Why did all of you go? Why did people go out to see John in the wilderness? Why did they go? Why did they leave everything? And why did they go to see John 
Is it because, you know, he has some special garment? Is it something that, you know, that was so attractive in John that you guys went to see something very unique, something rare, something, you know, that can't be obtained in the common? That's what Jesus brings out here. He says, all those stuff that uh, people may think that, oh, it's rare. People who really have access to it, like the rich people, the kings, they have that. But John didn't have any of those things. John had a very special way of living. His garment was of camel's hair, camel's skin. And, and his his food was very different, locusts and wild honey. And you look at John the Baptist, he was somebody who was a prophet. That's what the people said. He was a prophet. But Jesus calls John the Baptist more than a prophet. John was more than a prophet. He was a voice of God. So in that way, he was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Why was John more than a prophet? If you look at God's word, you see, John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He was not a prophet who was sent by God to the people during different uh, periods uh, to turn the hearts of people to the Father, but he was sent by God as a forerunner to Jesus Christ. And the assignment that John had was to prepare the way for the Messiah. That means John's job was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to be able to do the ministry of the Messiah. So what did John do? Before Jesus came and he preached his message of repentance, turn to the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus did his healing ministry. Before he could do all of that, God sent John to to do that which Jesus was going to do, but a shadow, a forerunner, to prepare the hearts of the people where John began to preach repentance and John was baptizing people. It's something that God had John do, a very unique ministry. And you look at John the Baptist, you see that his birth was very unique and the call of God upon his life was very unique. And he was not just called as a prophet who would direct the people of God and who would prophesy about what would happen. But he was someone who was given a very unique task, a task that was very different than the rest of the prophets had, which was to prepare the way of Messiah. In that way, John was more than a prophet because he was born for a specific task, which was to be the forerunner to Jesus Christ. He went ahead and he prepared the way for the Lord. No one ever did that. No one ever did that ministry, uh, preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come. So he was called for that. In that way, John was more than a prophet. And so you see John the Baptist, he was preaching and he was he was preaching repentance and he was preaching God's righteousness and he was making ready a people for the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ, when he begins his ministry, the way would be made clear. That means people would, the people will have an idea of what repentance is and, and what baptism is and, and something important would be established before Jesus Christ would come and do his ministry. So, John was called to do that. And as he was called to do that, John was very faithful in fulfilling that call of God that 
God had called John to do. He was called to be a forerunner. And in order for him to be a forerunner, he was called by God for a specific consecration. And John was very faithful in that consecration that God called. And as young as he was, you know, his parents were much older and he was born to his parents when they were older. So we don't know how long his parents lived. So you look at John's life. You see, John was living a very isolated life. He was in the wilderness and he was by himself for a period of time and he was a very young person and you look at John's life the the time that he ministered was fairly brief and the age that he died was very young and so when he when you look at John the ministry was very short very powerful and in order for him to accomplish that ministry that God gave he prepared himself for that ministry a very very admirable a faithful servant of the living God. Mm-hmm. And so these are, these are heroes of faith that the world is not worthy of. And you look at John the Baptist, he was young, you know, these days people will say, you know, oh, you know what, we need, you know, crowd and we need people. And if you're by yourself, you lose your mind and all kinds of satanic things they say. But John knew how to fellowship with the living God. He was by himself. He did not let any corruption come near him. He did not let anything to come near to pollute him. He dedicated himself for the high call of God. And he didn't know how long he would be alive. He didn't know how long, you know, what he was going to be doing for how long. But he knew he was called to be a foreigner for the Lord Jesus Christ before the Messiah came. But he didn't know everything. He didn't know that he was going to be beheaded. He didn't know that his ministry will be ending when the Messiah began his ministry. He didn't know any of those things. But he was very faithful to God and he always knew that he could get killed anytime because he was a man of no compromise. Prophets are like that. They don't fear anyone. They don't please anyone. They do what God tells them to do. And so John was one of those prophets who said what God said and did what God showed him to do. And he was a man after God's heart. And so he knew that, you know, he knew that he risked everything in order to give the truth to the people. So even if the king's people came, he would speak what God had him speak, knowing that he could get arrested, he could get killed, he could get beheaded. He knew all of it, but he was faithful to God. And so you look at John's life. He was a man, even as young as he was, we don't know from what age, but he was so dedicated to God, just like his parents. That's the beauty of it. His parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, they lived uh, an extraordinary life, a faithful life. They, They were sold out to God and no matter what they had, what they didn't have, they never gave up. They never gave up on their on their service to God and they never wavered from their faith and and they obtained that which they sought God for and they obtained it from God. And this treasure that God gave them at the old age was a rare treasure, John the Baptist. And this treasure was given to these godly parents and the seed of this righteous couple flourished before God. And John the Baptist, who was a son, the only son of Elizabeth and Zacharias, was a man of faith, just like his parents. And his parents served God. Now he is serving God. He's not doing the exact type of ministry that his parents did. No, he had a very unique ministry. His parents had a unique ministry. Now he has a unique ministry, but they all served God. That's the beauty of it. This is an encouragement to 
all of you who are here. If you are walking in the ways of God and if you're faithful to God, your children will follow after your footsteps if you are faithful to God. That's the key. If you are living a hypocritical life, then your children will also. But if you are faithful to God and if you keep yourself holy and if you walk in the ways of the living God, then your children will follow after your footsteps if you invest in them. If you sow seeds of righteousness in them by number one, walking uprightly before God. And number two, raising them in the ways of the living God by putting the word of God into them day and night, your life and then your word. Both are important. The way you live and how you teach and how you train them, how you mold them will make them into that which God wants them to become. Now, so the foundation was laid. How long John was with his parents and to what age his parents lived is not recorded in the Bible because it's not necessary for us. God saw that. And so we don't need to go into that. But we know one thing, that there was a good foundation that was laid and John was someone who took it all in. We can all hear everything from God, but then if we don't follow through with it, then we can completely go the other way because we each have a choice. Just like how in this church, God gives his word to every single one. Those who make use of it, make use of it. And those who don't make use of it, they won't make use of it. Those who take the food that God gives and dump it in the garbage will become sick kids. Those who take that and they eat diligently will become strong kids. Those who eat partially and don't eat partially, their health will reflect that. And so when you look at John, John was somebody who received from God, received from his parents, and whatever he received, he was someone who held on to it. So we see as a young man, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, young people have so many temptations. Oh, young people can do this. Young people, you know, can't say this. Oh, there are lots of things that comes that come against young people and all kinds of things they can say. But John's life defies all that the world and Satan would say against young people's living holy for God, against the life or holy living of young people before God. And so we need to have this in mind. It is possible and God expects and it is an honor and a blessing for every single one, be it little, middle or older, to live an honorable life before God. So whatever life that God calls us to live, we are supposed to live that life through the power of God working inside of us. Now, John had the Holy Spirit working inside of him. And with the Holy Spirit working inside of him, he was uh, a man who was great in the sight of God. Someone who really earned a significant reputation in the sight of God. That means in heaven, when God sees the human beings who lived during that time, he had a very, very, very high regard for John. Why? Because John was a man of self-control. John was a man of passion, and the passion was completely geared towards God. John was a man who had a commitment towards God and never wavered. John was a man who was on his track, one track, and he would never deviate from it, and he always stuck with it. John was a man who never lived for himself, but he lived for God. In short, John was a man who pleased God every moment of the day. Now, is that possible? It is possible. If we live for Jesus, letting Jesus live through us, we can actually live like Jesus, live like John the Baptist, finish well, live well, and end well before God Almighty. So John was a man who was great in the sight of God. And what I'm saying throughout the messages, it is all coming from the word of God. I'm not here sitting and telling some stories over here, but these are all from the scriptures. So you want to find out, go to the Bible and read about John the Baptist. 
God is speaking to us at this hour. John was a man of eternal principles. Whatever the spirit of God put in his conscience and put in his spirit, he never violated that. And because of that, God was on his side all the time. Now you look at John the Baptist. Jesus says that he is more than a prophet. John the Baptist is more than a prophet. He was someone who was called with a specific purpose, who never wavered, who never looked at other things and said, oh my God. Look at that guy over there, James over there. Look at that guy over there, Peter over there. Look at that guy over there, Andrew over there. They have a life. What kind of a calling you have me, Lord? I have to be in the wilderness and I'm isolated over here from all the people of the world. And look at me. Look at their food and how they're eating. Nice wheat bread. And look at me. I have to eat wild honey and locusts over here. I'm living such a different life. Why am I, Lord? I'm so young and I don't have a life. What is this, God? Many people are like that. John was not like that. John was a man of great character. Because he knew that he was called for something unique. Now, just like how some people who are, are training themselves to be athletes, they will eat a particular type of food for that. They'll eat foods that contain protein and whatever they need to build their muscle and their endurance, they'll eat and they'll stay away from certain things. And they practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. At that point, they won't say that, oh my God, look at them. You know, they're playing over there. Look at them. They're partying over there. Look at them. No, they actually leave everything because they know that all these things will come to take me away from my highest goal. They esteemed their diet. They had a very high view of what they're eating because they know this is going to contribute towards what I need to accomplish. John was a man like that. He knew that whatever God has called me to do, the lifestyle that God has called me to live is something that's necessary so that I can complete my mission for God. He was not a me-centered person. He was a God-centered person. May God speak to our hearts at this hour. John was a man who was God-centered person, me-centered person, a man who had clear vision. He had a very clear vision. He knew what his call was. He knew how his life should be lived. And his heart was passionate about God. When you look at John, he would say that, oh, he must increase, I must decrease. John was not like many believers who would sit and say, oh, let me see what that person is doing. If that person is doing, what can I do? I should also be doing. There's competition, this competitive spirit in the house of God amongst believers, whether it's here or elsewhere. It's a curse. It's a demonic spirit. It's a serpent spirit that creeps into the church and looks for me-centered believers and gets into them in order to divide the house of God. I want to repeat this as the Holy Spirit wants me to. The serpent finds its way into the house of God through me-centered people and will cause them to compete with others instead of trying to run together and build the house of God. This competitive spirit will enter in through me-centered people to divide the house of God, to divide the body of Jesus Christ. This happens all over the world. John was a man who was very unique. He never cried about his lifestyle. He never cried about his all food or his clothing or, oh my God, I got to look odd like this. And, you know, I can't look cool like the rest of the people. None of those things. He knew that he was called for something big. 
he knew that he was called to do the will of God, even if his life was, even if his life was going to be short. He didn't care about that. He said, I am here to do the will of God. He was a man who did not live for himself even for a second. So self-pity had no room in John's life. Self-pity will grow in the fertile ground called self. I want to say it again. Where will self-pity, the demon called self-pity grow? In a person where self is very fertile, where the ground is called self. Self is like really, really there. The demon called self-pity will grow there. The more a person thinks about themselves, they are feeding that demon. Every time you think about yourself, you're putting food into that evil spirit called self that's inside of you. And that evil spirit and self-pity will say, give me, give me, give me, say more, say more, say more. And the demon will get stronger and stronger and stronger, rooted in that person. And will give twisted thinking, twisted looking, thin, twisted hearing, twist, twisted perception, twisted view of God, twisted view of everything. May God give a clearer understanding of the danger of self. What you feed, what you feed, and what you give room to will grow stronger without you even knowing because it will grow, you know, just like how you have microorganisms in your body and you eat the wrong food. It'll just strengthen it. Before you know it, it'll just kill your immune system very fast. You can't see it. How many of you can just open your gut and see, open your stomach and see, let me see how much bacteria I have and how much, you know, yeast I have and, and how much good bacteria and how much bad bacteria I have and how do I know what I eat is affecting? Well, you don't believe what has been already established. You will Soon believe when you get really sick. That's not the smart way to go. When you know sugar feeds yeast, you be responsible because your body is a temple of God. When we beat ourselves up and destroy our bodies with the wrong kinds of food and say, Oh, pastor, pray for me. I'm really sick. No wonder you are sick. Now you abuse yourself and you come and say, Lord, heal me. We have to think 10 times before we harm our bodies, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's clothing, whatever it is, make sure this is the temple of God and you honor your body before God Almighty. Then Satan won't have any access over your body. Be responsible for what God has given to you. Your bodies are the temples of God, living God. And so when you are given something to be responsible, God will see how responsible you are. You know, there's some people who have no self-control. Know that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. How you treat your body, what you put in, really shows what kind of a believer you are. Whether you have any kind of strength on the inside or not. And so when you look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a person who had self-control. He was a man of God. He had great amount of self-control. He knew how to live his life before God Almighty. He was not someone who was just crying over, oh, they have, I don't have, and look at me. They all live in the city, and I have to live in the desert, and and look at them, and they have, you know, married, they are married, and they have kids, and, and look at me, and I'm by myself, and oh, my God. Such a man of God who Satan found no room whatsoever. You call that character. You call that character. God esteemed John greatly, and so do I. A man who was esteemed in the sight of God and esteemed the sight of those who esteem God and his word. 
man's life worth copying. A great man of God whose life is worth imitating. May God help us to live like John. To what light God has given to you, do you have the courage and the character to follow through, to have the courage and the character to really have the proper balance, have the courage and the character to stand up for what is right, have the courage and the character to have that self-control, have the courage and the character to say, if this body has to serve God, then I will do everything that will keep this body in shape. Now, that's honoring God. We can't simply say, oh, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you and do everything to harm the body and then say, Lord, I want to serve you. Help me. God won't help you because if you really want to serve God, then you will do what it takes to keep your body in shape so that this house that is supposed to serve God, which is supposed to be the temple of God, is taken care of by you. You are the steward for that body. God is speaking to our hearts today. People who just give themselves over to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life cannot do anything successfully for God. You may attempt, but you really can't succeed because your willpower that you need to exercise before God will be put to test when the enemy will come, when the storm comes, when the wind blows. If your house is built on the rock, then it's not going to shake. And self-control is a big thing, understand. John the Baptist was someone who had self-control. If you look at God's people, even if you look at prophet Elijah, he was a man of self-control. He stayed by the brook until the brook dried and until God told him to get up and go. A man of self-control who never thought about himself. These are great men of God where self had no place in them. Absolutely not. So if you come and tell me, well, pastor, we are human beings and, you know, we try to, you know, do what we can and what we don't and what we um, are not able to do. God understands that. Oh, no. There are many, 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 many people of God in God's word who have lived a life of self-control. These are human beings, not angelic beings that were just floating somewhere from third heavens and just jumped in our midst and just say, hey, I'm here to prophesy to you now. These are human beings born out of human parents, having flesh and blood and bones just like us. Same passion, same appetite, same desire. Everything's the same. But you know what? They knew how to master everything. So should you, especially New Testament believers. If you claim to have the spirit of God, if you claim to have the spirit of God, if you claim to have the spirit of God and still say, oh, God, it is so hard for me. Then I will ask you, what kind of a spirit do you have? Oh, what are you doing with what you claim to have? What are you doing with what you claim to have? What are you doing with what you claim to have? May God speak to our hearts at this hour. It is important for us to know who we are. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? John knew who he was. Do you know who you are? John knew who he was. Do you know who you are? I just scattered by everything that comes and whoever you see you want to copy. Are you a copy of someone out there or are you someone that God has called you to be? Do you want to live a life that would just go after anything and everything you see and you just want to be just like the rest of the world? Or do you want to be someone that God has called you to be? Stand out. 
be different from the crowd that you see because you're not called to be one among the crowd. You're called to be out of the crowd, to be unique, to do the will of God, to finish the mission that God has for you. Are you mission-minded? Do you have a mission? Do you know who you are in Christ? Are you here to live just like the rest of the world? Or are you here to live like John the Baptist was called by God? That's why such great commendation from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, wait, God says here, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Oh, he is more than a prophet. He came as a forerunner and he finished his mission as a forerunner. Now Jesus is doing his ministry because John came and he prepared the way. It was perfect. John's work was so perfect and Jesus was able to do the ministry. Are you playing a role in the kingdom of heaven before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you making a perfect path for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ by being his hands and feet? Are you so entangled with the affairs of the world? Oh my God, I need this and I don't have this and I have this and I need to have more and I need to have this and I don't have this and they have this. And it's just, just like a hamster that's running on the wheels. All the time, all the time, all the time, merry-go-round, looking at the world, looking at the world, looking at the world. When thousands and thousands and thousands are on their way to hell. Many are on their way to hell. Many. Many are on their way to hell. But you know, in John's ministry, many went to heaven. Many came to John, they repented, and many got baptized. Many people's hearts were turned towards the Father. John was very successful in his ministry. And the Bible says, Jesus said, he came with the spirit of Elijah. That means the anointing of God that was on Elijah was upon John the Baptist. The anointing of Elijah was one, was on Elisha. The anointing of Elijah was on John the Baptist. Elijah anointing is the original anointing that God gave to Elijah. And then there's a transfer that happens. Elijah's ministry, there's a replication of his ministry that happens in Elisha. And there's a replication of Elijah's ministry, which is the original ministry that happens in John the Baptist. But the difference here is he's coming with the spirit of Elijah, with the call that God gave for Elijah to do the work of God like Elijah, but there is a little difference or, or a big difference between Elijah's ministry and John the Baptist's ministry, where John is a forerunner to Jesus Christ. And Elijah did many miracles and John did not because the miracle ministry of a prophet was withheld from John so that Jesus Christ could come and do that part. So you see how beautifully God's work is divided here with John is not Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. But before the Messiah came, John was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the work that he did, similar to Elijah's work, through the anointing of God that worked on Elijah, that was upon John the Baptist, was to turn the hearts of the people to the Father. And John did that successfully. He did his ministry in an excellent manner. No compromise. Elijah did not worry about Ahab he was not worried about Jezebel and he was there on top of Mount Carmel standing for God and asking, 
who is on the Lord's side so that people can come to God. He brought fire from heaven and the people of Israel, their hearts were turned towards the living God. And he brought many of the priests of Baal to an end there. A man who was not worried about his life and a man who lived with no compromise. Now you look at John, he was just like that. He did not worry about Herod. He did not worry about Herodias. He did not worry about anybody over there. And he shared the word of God as it is without compromise. God is speaking to our hearts today. What are you living for? Who are you living for? And how are you living? I want to repeat these three questions again. What are you living for? Who are you living for? And how are you living? What are you living for? Who are you living for? And how are you living? Many people, they live for whatever they see. They don't even know where they're going next. I live here because I want to make myself happy. I do these things because when I do these things for someone, it makes me happy. If you look at the whole picture, the whole picture culminates to one thing, which is a life that is consumed with me centered living. God is speaking to our hearts at this hour. If you want to do anything for God, or if you want to amount to be anything, to put it that way, you must be someone who changes from me-centeredness to God-centeredness. Because when you become God-centeredness, it is at that moment will God be able to do anything with your life. Move from a life or a lifestyle of me-centeredness to God-centeredness. We saw this as we heard the recap of the prophecy through when he re, you know, recapped it. We heard what God spoke, the original word that he gave Saturday in the prophecy. Unless we empty ourselves, unless we empty ourselves, that means the, the slightest thing that is there. You know, you, you drink coffee or tea and you have some stain in your cup and how many of you will say, I rinsed it and you have stain there. How many of you will say, the stain is still there, but that's okay. I'll pour a cup in every day. Like you have a, a mug that is full of stains and you drink from it. How, I don't know. Maybe some do. Now, that's not the right way of drinking. The proper way of drinking is you really clean the cup. And even if you see some stain at the bottom, you clean it thoroughly until there's no stain. Then we pour something in. At least I hope they don't give it to someone. The guest who comes to their house with stains and say, oh, you can drink it. You know that I love you so much. And don't worry about the stains. And by the way, it's just old stains and you can drink it. You're safe. I don't think, you know, it's going to affect your stomach. And you know what to give. You know how to clean. At least most of the people know. When something is wrong with some people, they do some weird things. We're not talking about those kinds of people who are off. If you know how to clean your cup, you should know how to clean yourself on the inside. You know that. If you want God to pour something that is of value, significant value or of something that cannot even be compared and you want that to be poured inside of you then there has to be a cleansing that has to take place you can't leave a stain there and a stain here and a stain there and a stain here and expect god to pour everything inside of you and say i'm going to serve god there has to be the thorough cleansing on the inside 
And so in order for that to happen, you take that scrub and you scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. Once you scrub it, you rinse it and you look and see if anything is there. Again, scrub and scrub. You're not going to say, well, I scrubbed it and you know what? It's not going to work and I'm going to leave it. That's one lazy person. But if you want to make it the cup and you know that if you clean it, you can save that cup and you can use that cup. You're going to do what you need to do, which is put some effort. Put some effort. After you clean it, if you see some stains left, you're going to take the take the scrub and you're going to scrub it some more. And then what are you going to do? You're going to look. This is exactly what you need to do. If you want God to use you in any capacity for his kingdom, without holiness, no man can see the Lord. How much more without holiness? No man can serve the Lord. You must be holy in all manner of conversation, in all your conduct, if you want to truly serve God, if you want your service to be counted worthy by God. I mean, anybody can say, I handed 50 tracts and I stood there and did street preaching and I went and sang there and I did all. You can say all those things, but is it counting towards eternity? Is God actually putting it to your account? Is it, has it been credited? Is it counting towards eternity? It's something that we have to really think deep within us. Is it counting towards eternity? Whatever I do, when I stand before God, will God say, well done? Will he say that? Well, whatever you did, whomever you spoke to, wherever you witnessed, I approved of it and have given you the credit for it. You know, if you've done college papers or even school papers, even, even eighth grade, and as a teacher, when I, when I, when I taught the students, when they write an essay, you have a rubric, you have certain standards where you say the topic sentence has to be there, the body of the you know subject has to be here, and these are the points that we look for, and the conclusion has to be here. You can't just come and write your own thing and scribble all over the page and then you know not use your punctuations right and give everything and say, Here, you wanted me to give an essay. There, you want me to write on trees? I wrote on trees, and you give it. You get a big zero. When a standard has been set. Even in this worldly realm, even this worldly realm, you have an acceptable format and you have a format that will be rejected. Go try to get a driver's license. Go there when they say you need two sets of IDs or two forms of IDs and, and you need to have this proof of address and all these things. Go there without your proof of address. Go there without your form of ID and go and argue your case with them saying that I'm a U.S. citizen. I need license because I need to drive. My grandma is sick or my grandpa is sick and I need the license. I know how to drive. My uncle Harry taught me how to drive. Go, go and talk and see. Will that work? Will it work? Will it work in the earthly system? How much more in the heavenly system and how many people think that they can fool God and, and try to play God and say that, well, God is not after our holiness because he knows how weak we are and he knows how frail we are. He's just looking to see how he can use people. All you need to say is, oh, Lord, I'm available. Really? God is speaking to our hearts at this hour. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, he looked to see if anyone will come to help him. It's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. He looked to see if anyone will come to his side. He looked to see if anyone will come to be on his side. He found no one. So he said, my own arm, he said, came to my defense. God said he himself fought because there was no one who would stand by his side. God is speaking to our hearts today. God is looking for soul winners for Jesus Christ. He's looking for people who will have integrity at the core of their being. 
He is looking for people who have humility at the core of their being. He is looking for people who will abandon everything and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. These are people, you call them rare treasures, rare treasures because they're truly rare. These are people whom God will say, these are my gems that I come to collect. These are people that God will stand right next to them. He said, anyone touch you? I will take away whatever I need to take away from them. These are the people that God will say, I esteem them greatly in my sight and my heaven knows who they are. Oh, hell knows who they are. These are the people God will say, oh, even to, even to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? Oh, have you seen him? By the way, God will be so proud of such people. He'll be so, so glad to utter their names in his mouth. There are many people who lived upright lives before God. Though few in number, in various different kinds of settings, and in different generations, there was this precious stone. There was this precious gemstone. There was this precious, 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 precious gemstone that God would see and he would form, raise them up to do his will. How is your walk with God? How is your walk with God? God is looking for people who will stand up, be with him, co-labor with him to bring souls for Jesus Christ. Are you going to stand with him? Or are you going to have God say, I looked for all these people in this church, but no one did it. So I did it myself and he fills up the church. What do you want to do? Are you want to become a co-laborer in the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ? In short, are you going to do your job? If you have to do your job, you need to be worthy of the job that God is calling you for. That means you need to be holy on the inside. Your hands must be clean. What you watch in your computer, God sees that. What you watch on your phone, God sees that. What you hear, God sees that. God, what you speak, God sees that. Who you speak to, God sees that. In your home, what happens? God sees that. When God sees all of it, can God say that? You are great in my sight because you are living an upright life. Will God be able to say that? Think about that. Will God be able to say that? God should be able to say that. And there are people, God was able to say that. And John the Baptist was one of those. A forerunner in the kingdom of God. A forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. A man of no compromise. When you look at John the Baptist, you see Jesus saying this. What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We will be going into verse 12 tomorrow. I want to stop right here as the Holy Spirit wants me to. 
But before we go into that section that God has for us, there is an important area that the Spirit of God wants to deal with every single believer here. And the important area is the area of your heart. Matters pertaining to your heart. Matters pertaining to your motives. Matters pertaining to what you are actually running after. What is your goal? What is your aim? What is your ambition? What are you actually hungering, thirsting for or going after? What is it? If you want the glory of God to be seen. If you want the glory of God to be seen. If you want the glory of God to be seen. You must prepare your cup. You must focus on washing your cup. You must focus on preparing your cup. God is speaking at this hour. You must focus on preparing your cup. As we're going to close our eyes and look to the Lord, I want you to examine yourself in the presence of God. God is about to do great things. God is about to do big things. I know that and I can see that. But if you want to be a partaker, which God is calling you to be a partaker in the in the great harvest, in the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to prepare yourself. See, in order for you to be that which God has called you to be, John had a call. I have a call. You have a call. In order for you to do what God has called you to do, you must have this in mind. What is this? which is, I am called of God to do what God wants me to do, which means he is the master. He tells me what to do. I wait on him and I do only that, nothing more, nothing less. And in order for me to come to that place of total surrender, we need to understand that we must be the people of God who will entrust ourselves into the care of the master, which means we should not be doing our own thing. We should not be looking at whatever we shouldn't look at, hear what we shouldn't hear, talk what we shouldn't talk. We have to have that self-control. Today, God is speaking to us about self-control in a big way. Not just running wherever we want to, doing whatever we want to, watching whatever we want to, hearing whatever we want to. Anytime you have an impulse to do something, immediately get up and do it. We should not be people driven by impulses. We need to be people who have self-control, who say, I want to do the will of God. That's who John was. If John was able to do that through the spirit of God, through the spirit of God, you can do that too. But John was a clean vessel. That's where we are coming down to. John was a clean vessel. John was a vessel who kept himself for God. He was someone who was preserved. He preserved himself to be that royal cup in the hands of the living God. You want to preserve yourself? You want to keep yourself holy? Then God will use you. That's the first requirement. In this church, the moment, the day, the time when people shape up and say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And in order for that to happen, I give myself 100% to you. And I'm not going to be me-centered anymore. I'm going to be God-centered, Lord. I'm not going to live an unholy life in any way. That means in my conversation, in my behavior, in my mannerism, in my thinking, that me, myself, and I has to be Taken out completely. Rid that out of your life. And be dedicated to God. And say, Lord, I know the preciousness and the pricelessness of the kingdom of heaven. 
Do you really know? If you know that, then you'll be willing to give up anything instantaneously. John knew that. As young as he was, he knew the call of God upon his life. And he said, this is what I was sent to do. And this is my mission. And no one and nothing can distract me, not even Satan can distract me from fulfilling my mission. Oh, Satan couldn't distract him. Are you being a person who's so firm that the enemy is not able to distract you? Or are you being a person when even a, a little wind goes by, you just fly and you just fall somewhere and say, oh my God, I got hurt and I don't know how I even fell over here. The strength inside of you should be so strong that even Satan shouldn't be able to, no matter how cunning he may come, the enemy, our adversary, who goes about like a roaring lion, looking to see whom he may devour, but those who are strong in him cannot be devoured by the enemy. Daniel was not devoured, not only by the lions, but by the enemy. He stayed strong till the very end. Apostle John was untouched by the enemy, no matter what happened to him. So was Apostle Paul. Isaiah the prophet, untouched by the enemy. Satan came all over through all kinds of people, not moved by the enemy. These are immovable rocks in God's kingdom. What are you? Who are you? What is your strength? In times of adversity, if you faint, your strength is small. We've heard this many times in our messages, the scripture, that the spirit of God has brought out many, many, many times. In times of adversity, if you faint, your strength is small. What does that mean? That means if you get a 20 out of 100 when your exam is given, that means you didn't prepare, you failed. So what are you supposed to do? Now, study what you have to study, and next time, try to get a 100. And when you aim for a 100, you may end up with an 80, then you study, and before you get to your finals, you will get a 100 if you really master that and practice. So what are you supposed to do? Look at all the areas where you are fooling around. Look at all the areas where you are stumbling and falling. Look at all the areas where you need to work on. Write it down. Take it before God and say, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. And don't stop there. That's a big mistake people do. They think that they take all the baggages and put it before God and say, oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And then they come outside. The moment they come outside, somebody comes and says something to you. They said, oh, you're talking about me? Who do you think uh, you are? And you don't know about me, who I am, my parent, my grandparent, and my whoever it is. What did you do in your prayer closet? Did you really pray or did you talk to God or did you talk to the devil? What spirit did you come out with? Somebody outside, they'll be scratching their heads. May God speak to our hearts this hour. You go to the presence of God and say, Lord, help me, help me, Jesus, if you really mean that with all your heart. When you ask him, he has given you the help. Once he gives you the help, what are you supposed to do? You have to put it to use. You ask someone for something and you say, I don't have this. Can you give me? And they give it to you. For example, you don't have butter and you're asking someone for butter and you're making something and that 
recipe requires for you to have butter and you don't have and you knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, do you have butter? And they say, yeah, I have butter. And they give it to you and you get a butter stick and you come inside. And the news, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much. You gave me the butter. I'm so happy. You know, I'm going to, you know, bake this or whatever. And you bring it and you just leave it by your door over there on your table. And you come here and they say, I can't believe that she gave me butter. You know, she's such a nasty woman. But today when I asked, you know, she gave me this butter, you know, something, maybe some, there's something good about me and like all oh, they consumed with myself. And then you go there and never use the butter and you finish everything. And halfway through when it's almost done, say, oh my God, I didn't put the butter. And what happened to me? Why? What happened? You got the butter, but you weren't able to actually make use of the butter. What happened in the middle? In the middle, what happened was, even though you got the butter, your focus was you. You got the butter, your focus was you, and you were so consumed with yourself, you completely missed using that butter. What is the point in even going and getting it from Aunt Susie? What's the point? God is speaking to our hearts today. You can go and pray and fast 21 days and 43 days and 67 days and 365 days and say, Oh Lord, change me, kill this stuff and I want to kill this stuff and take this stuff. And you can say all kinds of things. But then you come outside, the moment you come outside and say, Hmm, look at me. And look how nicely I prayed. I think I really prayed better than yesterday today. I'm so impressed with the way I prayed. Know this for sure. That demon of stuff will not leave you. The day you start, the day you stop admiring yourself. I want to repeat this again. The day you stop admiring yourself. And the day you stop feeling sorry for yourself. That's another demon. One is like will try to lift oneself up to the heavens. Saying that, oh my God, look at me. That's one demon. The next demon is, oh my God, look at me. I can't stand myself all the time. That's another demon. One is a, a hardy self spirit and another one is a self pity, droopy self. God is speaking to a heart today. Whether it's this kind of a hardy self or a, this kind of a droopy self, both self are equally an abomination before God. You need to know this. When you enter into the presence of God, when you tell the Lord, I want to get rid of all the garbage. After that, don't try to smell that garbage. After that, don't try to dig through that garbage. After that, don't even go near that garbage. Garbage goes in the garbage can. Once you put that away, any thought that Satan brings about stuff, or like, I'm so good, I did this for somebody, and I did this, and look what they did. How many ever times you bring that I... How many ever times you entertain whatever Satan brings? That's what will take you down altogether. When Satan brings that eye, you need to have your shoes for him ready to kick him out and say, get out in Jesus name. Through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. All things I've done until the second is through Christ, through Christ, by his grace, by his grace. Nothing to boast of and nothing to admire of yourself except for his work that he is doing inside of you. Even that willpower, even the grace, even the strength that we have is from God, if we have. The strength that John had was from God, but you know what? He had that self-control that came from God because he was a man who stayed with God. He made that choice. He said, I will stay with you, Lord. And so what did he do? He was sitting in a place where 
There was no distraction. He was not crying about himself. God, I have no friends. God, why did you do this to me? Why didn't you give me to my parents while they were young? In that way, I could have had them for some more time. Lord, I'm so young and now I don't have my parents with me. And I have no friends because you called me to be a prophet. And you know what? You told me to be in the wilderness and I'm there in the wilderness. Oh, Lord, I'm so wildernessy, phobic. Yeah, you can come up with all kinds of words. God is speaking to hearts today. John was a man of character. If you look at John's life, there are a lot of things that if someone else in his place would have, will just cry over it and go into depression. John was opposite, very opposite. He was someone who knew the plan of God and the will of God and the high call of God that God had called him for and the great privilege that he had to be the forerunner for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, as Apostle Paul did, I count all these things, what, friends, the family, whatever is there that other people said they have and I don't have. I count all these things as rubbish so that I can be the forerunner for the Messiah and I can fulfill the job that he has. It's not like, oh, I am the forerunner. No, not that way. But it's like, oh, Lord, that which you call me to do, I will do it. And that's why he was able to say, genuinely say, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase. And I must decrease. And he said, I'm not even unworthy to untie the shoes of the Messiah. Even though he was worthy in the sight of God, in a sense, to be the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a holy vessel of God. He's saying that he is not worthy to untie Jesus' shoelace. But you know what? God found him worthy to have him the baptizer of the Messiah. Oh, that's greater than untying the shoelace. He was great in the sight of God. In his heart, he felt, God, you are big. You are big. You are big. You are big. And his dependency was on God. And he kept himself pure and holy. Because of that, he was given one of the greatest privileges on the face of the earth, which carried the greatest cost also, and the greatest strength that came from God. Because his reliance was on the great God. If you want to win souls for Jesus Christ, as John did, he converted the hearts of many rebellious people back to the Father. And he finished his mission. If you want to be one of those, if you want to be among such people, great men of God, great women of God, who are great in the sight of God, then you need to know what God has called you for. And you need to count everything that will come in the way of you pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ as rubbish. Count it as rubbish, as Apostle Paul did. And set your heart on that one thing, which is pursuing him and him only. Doing that which he has called you to do. Nothing more and nothing less. Then heaven will stand with you to help you accomplish, give you the power as John was given that power that everybody from the king to the man who's at the lowest level in that society knew that this man carried great authority from God. He's not an ordinary man. God is speaking to the hearts today.
You want God to stand with you and give you the power to win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can be someone who will prepare the way for the Lord, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people get saved, then the end will come. Are you going to be partaker? Are you going to be a partaker in the last harvest that is about to happen? Do you want to be someone who will be counted worthy before God Almighty? Because this world will be gone before you know. You will be gone before you know. What you do for Christ is going to last as long as you do it within his will. Not within my own will, but his will. What he tells you to do, when you do it, then it will be credited to you. Just like your paper that you have to submit. As long as it matches the criteria, your rubric, then you get get a 100 if you did well. If you did well. With God, as long as you do that which God wants you to do, and he gives you the tools for it, he gives you everything that you need for it, you just have to do it. When you do it according to what God has told you to do, then it will be credited to your account. May God help us to understand what the Spirit of God is speaking at this hour. Go after that which matters the most and leave behind that which does not matter at all. Then you would do well in all that God has called you to do and truly be a soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the time to truly examine yourself in the presence of God and say, Lord, I really want to uproot the self out of me. It's a process though. And in that process that God will take you through, it is important to keep your eyes on God, not on yourself. When you keep your eyes on God, God will show all the ugliness that is there. And it's important to scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. That means every time it tries to come up, you hit it down. Every time it tries to come up, you hit it down. Every time it tries to come up, you hit it down until it's gone. It'll be so easy before you know it won't have any place in your life. God will help you to overcome. God will help you to overcome. God will help you to master that. This is something that the Spirit of God will lead you into if you make that your main business. Shall we close our eyes and look to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word that you gave to us today. As you're preparing us, Lord, to win souls for you. More than what we can do, you want us to be worthy so that you can pour your power inside so we can truly do true ministry. Not what we want to do, but what you want us to do can only be accomplished through your strength. In order for that strength to empower every vessel, that vessel needs to be clean. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you may do a mighty work in every single one as you've spoken tonight. Lord, oh, raise up mighty, mighty instruments in your hands. Raise up people who will become world changers for the Lord Jesus Christ. People who will totally abhor self. People who will embrace the call of God upon their lives. People who will have the character to live for you. People who will have the character to deny themselves and take up their cross to follow you. So I pray that you'll raise up, Father, men and women of great character from amongst us so that your work may move forward, Father, so that many be brought out of darkness to light. Oh Lord, 
I pray. May the kingdom of darkness be brought down through your people's diligence and through your people's holy living and humble service before the living God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, as we are in your presence, I pray that you continue to do a deeper work in the lives of your people, Lord. Even this night as they retire to their beds. May this word that you have spoken continue to ring in their ears, O Lord. Let it be written deep down in the tablets of their hearts. Let it not be forgotten, Father. Let it do a deeper work in the lives of your people. I thank you for doing this. You are our mighty fortress. And we can come to you in times of our need. And we come to you at this hour, Father, not for silver or for gold. We come to you for souls. Lord, and as you have placed, Lord, may in this body, over this congregation, I bring your precious people before you. I pray for a deeper sanctification, Lord, for this house of God, that every single blemish be removed, Father, from the lives of your people, that each one, Lord, may become clean cups before you so that you can pour your power into them, Father, that their service for you may become pleasing and effective so that, Lord, each may contribute towards the kingdom of God in bringing many, many, many out of darkness to light and into the house of God so that your house may be full. I thank you for doing this. I bless your people with this blessing that you alone can bless them with, that their walk may become deeper and stronger, that their understanding may become deeper and stronger, that their confession in their mouths may match their lifestyle. The Lord, you may be able to gladly approve their works and give them credit for what they do. I thank you for doing this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord, for your precious words. Thank you, Lord, for speaking the transformation that you are looking for, Lord, in us. Thank you, Lord, for loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for giving a word that directly came from you, Lord, to make us during these 21 days to be fit as soldiers, well-equipped, well-trained, disciplined, able to deny ourselves, which is the hindrance, so that we can get that out of the way, not be proud or engage in pity, self-pity, but to be even, not to seek to be happy through our own desires, but to seek the happiness that comes from you knowing that we're pleasing you, Lord, moment by moment, no matter what the weather is outside, what the circumstance or the situation. Lord, help us to 
focus in on and center our desires upon your will so that we can be happy no matter what happens, knowing that our Father is with us. Because as you approve John the Baptist, Lord, you'll approve those who seek to honor you with everything you've given. Thank you, Lord, that this is not far-fetched or something for another time. This is not far-fetched. It's a demand that you're given, Lord. It must be met by everyone who would seek to be a real Christian. I thank you, Lord, for the pure word of God that has come to us. How desperately 8,000, 10,000, scores of thousands of churches need to hear messages like this, Lord, rather than give a false sense of complacency, Lord, security. Make people feel good while they're dying spiritually. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to a place, God's clinic, to properly diagnose what's actually happening. Give the exact treatment needed, Lord, that we may not only recover, but become stronger and healthier spiritually. Oh, Lord, how can we help other people if in our church people are drowning themselves? How can they ever rescue people? I thank you for showing us what things caused that drowning to happen and to eliminate it by resisting the devil on all fronts. Thank you, Jesus. We are complete in Christ, the scripture says. We are full and fulfilled because Jesus is living in us. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God, for the sobering word. Thank you, Lord, that this night, those of us on this side of the world can go to bed knowing that we have been purified even as we heard the word. Because you said you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. We get cleansed and made holy and pure just by hearing this word and receiving it. And putting it into practice. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just as you spoke yesterday, Lord, regarding desire. And all the messages, Lord, they are without being planned by any human endeavor. Your spirit is bringing and circulating the same themes over and over again till the washing machine of heaven does the job. And people are separated from that which is defiling totally. This church, man, woman, and child, everyone that would remain would be pure. Lord, would be powerful because they are faithful and humble. Lord, separate everyone in this church, I pray, from a culture of corruption within their families. Easily talking about things which are shameful to speak of. Easily accepting it. Lord, help there to be a disgust at the slightest bit of corruption anywhere and a great desire to uproot it and get it out of the family, out of the house, out of the house of God. Thank you, Lord, for teaching everyone to be humble. Thank you again and again, Lord. You told us humility will make us great. Hallelujah. Humility before God and you said before man. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to a uniform place Whereas we all all come from different backgrounds, different understandings about the truth. You're bringing us to a uniform place where everybody has the pure truth and understands it just the way you want so that everyone can be completely 
strengthened to be soldiers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the great wave of the Spirit of God to ingather, to gather in, Lord, to bring in many, many souls. Hallelujah. And thank you also, Lord, that you have warned us and told us that it's not the amount of activity we do, even in soul winning, ultimately, that will matter for us. But pure hearts and clean hands. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Day and night you speak to those who want to listen. And there, there'll be the people that will rise up and be a hands and feet mouth to all the people. Thank you, Lord. Praise and thank you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit rest and remain with us all now and until we see Jesus face to face. Amen. 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 Praise be to God.